This podcast is brought to you with support from The Big Idea, New Zealand's online hub for creative people. The Big Idea aims to support talented, innovative individuals and organisations and advocates for creativity as an essential ingredient in the cultural and economic wealth of New Zealand. Their website is thebigidea.nz. Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job. And I guess going on last week's episode, or the last, not last week, when was it? Last month. Right. Um, that was episode, what, 800 and something? <laughs> yeah. So, so this is 940? <laughs> Must be. Something. Yeah. Man, we're just churning through them, eh? I know. It's going really quickly. Yeah, man. Yeah. And um, life is just passing us by. <laughs> That's so, right. So, so very quickly. Exactly. And it um, does if you don't st- sit up and pay notice, take, take notice. <laughs> is that right? I didn't notice that Facebook post that you put up about the drummer. You talked about Chris Bailey. Right. No. Um, it completely passed me by. But if, I think if I'd seen it, I would have been more interested than when I showed up here this morning. You said the other guest is Chris Bailey. I went, who? <laughs> so tell me something about him. Tell well, us all. Chris Bailey is a, a drummer from the UK who's now based in the States. And he's played with all sorts of people like Shaka Khan, Boy George, Britney Spears, Nick Jonas, Desiree. Um, I posted a photo of me and him on Facebook and a guy I know said something like, poor guy playing with such shit bands, <laughs> which I, I haven't yet replied to. Um, Surely he was I, joking, right? Well, I, he was kind of joking, but I know he's a real bogan. And uh, so he okay. would have gone, Britney Spears, fucking blur, and, <laughs> and then decided that it's a shit gig. Are you kidding me? I'd oh play my. for Britney Spears any day of the week. Holy shit, yeah. would play in front of like how many people and yeah. massive venues and a massive fucking production. Yeah. So that's a good example of both perspectives, right? I mean, you, yeah, yeah. someone who loves Guns N' Roses going, fuck Britney Spears, yeah. not realizing from a musician's point of view, it's a great job. Absolutely. And I guess <laughs> it's, it's that whole, you know, joining teams thing, eh? It's a bit, a bit silly and a bit... Hmm. Kind of, I, but uh, you know, how serious is that guy? Probably not that serious. He oh, just I mean, feels like he has to say that. Yeah, you know. Oh, he's a nice guy. Uh, you know, yeah, he's probably just having a dig, but yeah. um, it still represents a thought process that does exist out there. Yeah, I mean, I remember that really changing in my mind uh, mm. is is my kind of elitist view on pop music and things like that. Right. And then I I started to you know as I sort of progressed in the industry and stuff people I know are working on pop songs I've played on pop songs myself yeah and like what am I supposed to turn the work down yeah oh, absolutely. you know it doesn't make any sense and then you start to realize that the difference between what we think of as pop music and what we think of as legitimate rock and roll there's no difference no. it's all pop music yeah you think you're better than everyone because you listen to the Foo Fighters that's pop music too <laughs> the fuck are you talking about yeah. the only way to get away from pop music is to be a classical musician <laughs> So Opshop's been asked to go um, and play a show with John Farnham. Uh, Which is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, man, look, fuck. I'm, I'm a John, I'm an un, uh, unfettered, I'm a John Farnham fan from way back unrepentant. in the 80s. Unrepentant. I don't know. <laughs> I, I love John Farnham's voice. Yep. I don't, I'm not necessarily that too enamored with the music, mm-hmm. but I know... I feel like I know what a good voice is, and, and I certainly appreciate it. And I don't care what anyone else says, right? Right. But I do remember one time, it's almost like being ashamed of the fact that I like John Farnham. Someone, someone asked me a new job that I'd started when I was very young, just out of music school. A guy I was working with said, hey, so who's your favorite artist? He was leading me down a path somewhere so he could tell me this bit of information. Right. And at the time, I was listening to some John Farnham stuff. I'm going, oh, I quite like, you know, this was back in the very early 90s. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say John Farnham. I felt a little bit kind of, he might judge me. Yeah. And I just said something. I, I can't even remember what I said. And he goes, oh, 
Well, my dad's a, you know was a bass player and he paid for for John Farnham and mm. um, you know I'm a big fan of his. I'm like, oh man, now if I say that I like it too, it's going to sound like I'm just you know yeah, jumping um, in on that, jumping in yeah. on the bandwagon. Yeah, but we, you know, I was really surprised when I started putting up the posts about hey, we're doing this gig with John Farnham in March in Auckland and I'm really excited about it. I felt a little bit kind of like, oh shit, people are going to think you know that's a bit. Ugh. Yeah, but the support and the number of people have gone. Oh my god, legend! Yeah, you know. So you always, I, you do tend to worry a little bit about what people might say, but fuck right. it, you know, it doesn't. Well, that who cool, cares? That's like the cool factor too, right? And the guy's a legend. Yeah, you know, regardless of you like his music or not, you've got to accept the fact that he sold twenty four million records. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, there are artists I don't like, but I mean, I think I I learn more and more that um, these are people out there who are working their ass off. And, yeah. you know, it takes a hell of a lot of skill to do those sorts of jobs. And so it's like you can decide not to like something. That's your own opinion. But mm. that, to, to then take it to this person is shit and, you know, no one should work with them. To take it to that level yeah. is insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And also for uh, working musicians, for professional musicians, it's tough to get work. Yeah. Um, what are you going to hold out for when Peter Gabriel calls you or whoever you think is <laughs> cool? That ain't going to happen. No, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, fuck, I've, like I say, I've played with pop people before and it's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's not that it's it's another job. It's also you're getting to do what you love to do. You're playing yeah. music, you know? Exactly. And um, why would anyone want to shit all over that? Oh, I know yeah. some musicians in Auckland who have, who, they are good musicians, sort of. And they, um, <laughs> <laughs> but they're very, very sort of. kind of elitist and, you know, they've got their very strong views. Right. And where do they regularly play? At a local bar. Right. And that's okay. the end. That's basically, I mean, the odd other moment and doing other things, yeah. but they basically, they're the biggest names at the local bar. Right. Okay. And it doesn't have any interest for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, once again, I guess it comes down to that tall poppy thing, eh? in a way. It's, it's so bad. Yeah, it's so bad the tall poppy thing. You and, don't notice it until you leave and come back, man. And uh, yeah. so automatic, automatic eighties are playing a few supports over summer too, right? For some, I believe names? so. But I'm so I've been so busy doing everything else I'm doing that yeah. I can't remember where we're playing. Right, or who we're okay. playing with. I, I, I next next week from the date of this recording, we're playing at the Bay of Islands with someone right. or some. <laughs> okay, maybe Fly My Pretties or something. Right, I, awesome. I think, okay. but I might have mixed that up with something else. But we're doing. I'm looking forward to Blenheim in a couple of weeks or a month or so with Jordan Luck and those guys. Cool, that'll be fun. Awesome. Um, and and then there's things like we're doing some show with a couple of the guys from Super Tramp or something like that. But there's like uh, that's about where my memory runs out. I can't yeah, remember. Right. But yeah, there okay. are some big gigs coming up. So cool, man. That will be fun. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds horribly arrogant, doesn't it? Got these gigs, I can't remember what they are. Oh, but you've also got so many other things that you're doing, you know, um, with your career along the side. I mean, that's yeah. not the one band that you play in. No, of course or not. Or the one thing that you do with your career. And yeah. You're in the middle of an album mix and. Right, and I think I, I maybe it's stating the obvious, but I definitely focus on what's going on at that moment in time. Yeah, right. You know, future dates are booked, and like, cool, I'm available. Put it in the diary, and then you don't think about it until that's something you need to think about. Yeah, right. And, yeah, right. Are, are these the sort of things that you talked to Chris about the career, what it's like to be in a career where you kind of like always constantly moving like a shark? You can't stop. You've got to keep looking for the next gig. And yeah, well, I loved how being busy. I loved how honest he was in the mm. conversation um, because he. He didn't seem to be that concerned like some artists are about coming off badly. Okay. You know, he talked about his failures as much as he did his successes, which I thought was really cool. Great. Um, and, you know, he had a tough time. Like, he was he was doing very well in England and then came to America and 
sort of landed flat on his face. Mm. Um, mm. And the whole process, you know, that went around that um, was a fascinating conversation. Does so. America still have that lure, like, to artists, do you think? Like, a, we, we know a few people who have moved over there for mm. their careers. Not necessarily just artists, but, you know, people working on um, being engineers or, or, or what have you. Does it, is it calling you, for instance? Yeah. 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 Um, I think... I mean, there's no way I can answer for anyone but myself and mm. a couple of friends, but um, I think it's still the place where the biggest opportunities can happen. I mean, some of the people I know there, I'm not going to start name dropping, but some of the people I know over there mm. uh, have played with enormous artists. I mean, I, I was talking to a guy there like last week who the next day was going on this huge tour with a massive, massive pop star. Right. Um and yet I just went and saw him play at a local venue and we hung out and he's also endorsed by the same um, guitar company as me. So, right. um, and, and so I think that's the point is that like on the local industry, funnily enough, you get paid more to play in New Zealand and there's, right. there's more kind of paid gigs at the lower level right, okay. um, over there. Like in New Zealand, it's more common to get a gig playing at a wedding or a corporate function or something in a covers band mm. and you can make several hundred dollars a night each kind of thing. But mm-hmm. in the States, those gigs don't really exist, at least in LA, they don't really happen so much. Okay. Um, so you end up playing, a lot of musicians will play for 50 bucks or something at something, which musicians in New Zealand wouldn't dream of doing. Mm. They go fifty bucks. Fuck off, you know. Yeah, right. But over there, you can play. You could play most nights of the week, and but earn le- less money. So right. you end up playing more and earning less. But yeah. at the same time, then you might get the gig for some much bigger artist and be on a huge like six month tour. Right. So the opportunities are so much bigger. Sure. Yeah. So it kind of yeah. It, it reminds me, you know, the tales you hear about the comedy scene over there, where people are doing a set a night for twenty bucks or whatever, or yeah. just so they can kind of buy food that week. Oh, no, and that was a big thing when they finally got that little amount of money. Yeah, was, I think yeah, that was back right. in the 80s or something. They, yeah. they fought for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so. you ran into Mark Maron while you oh, were yeah. there, right? The podcast comedy. king. Yeah. I think he arguably launched the podcast idea into the stratosphere, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. And I, well, I actually heard recently that Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant and Carl Pilkington, they kind of invented the podcast. Do, do you know I that think, to be true? I, I don't know if it to be true, but I've heard them say that. Right. Uh, possibly. I yeah. know that they did, they did do that... Um, yeah, it was an audio thing way back in mm. in the in the whenevers. There, it was like a because it was a radio show, wasn't it? That they yeah. then released as a podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, which is, have you listened to it? It's the funniest shit, man. I, I mean, I like Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. I think they're hilarious. Yeah, but I didn't like what they were doing to that Carl Pilkington guy. <laughs> yeah, it is mean because I feel like they're they're yeah. picking on him. But then again, when I saw him or that Carl Pilkington guy on something, yeah, I was like, oh, he's acting. I mean, that's part of the gig. I don't think he was. You don't think he's acting on no. that show? No, I don't you think, think so. You think he was definitely take- I think it's very organic. Right. Okay. Yeah. I might be just buying the story. As, as, as in he's that stupid? Pretty, well, yeah. I mean, the way or, that... Or he thinks alternatively. He thinks alternatively, yeah. 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 I think like Ricky... I, I watched an interview with Ricky Gervais talking about it. And he said he's, he's not an idiot. He, he just has a no, really interesting yes. way of looking at things. Yeah. And a lot of the time, he actually makes a hell of a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> it's just the way he says things is, is yeah. so funny. And um, so, unfortunately, you had to turn Mark down for being a guest on this show. We didn't really want to cro- cross the audience yeah, over there. Yeah, it was a more um, of a business um, conflict. Never mind. Sort of never thing. mind. Um, you know, we yeah. don't want to be associated with someone like that anyway. <laughs> um, but people, we do like to be associated with other people that you've talked to while you're over there on yep. your trip. Yep. I wasn't there on the trip with you, so I didn't get a chance to sit in on it. But I'm really interested, as with the last podcast to see where you went with this yeah and chris being a drummer uh even more so yeah yeah, yeah. So. your side of the fence yeah yeah 
Well, we um yeah we sat down at a little studio in I guess East Hollywood and had a conversation cool. and I really really enjoyed it. Okay, so here it is. Now let's do this. Yeah, because yeah. the truth is we're all grinding, we're all hustling, yeah. we've all got bills to pay, and you know we're in the business, so natural conversation just happens all the time. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. on the same boat. Mm-hmm. I had a great conversation with Abe Laborio Jr., where he... Lovely guy. He's awesome, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, and he... he um, I, I said a lot, I, I kind of made a self-deprecating joke about how... You know, he plays with Paul McCartney and I'm just like this guy from New Zealand. Right. And he goes, yeah, but we all just turn up and roll our shit and do our best, you know. It's yeah. all the same. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it's all the same. Yeah. But you have a few more zeros in your bank account than <laughs> exactly. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so are you, are you, you're from England, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And um, did you grow up in the whole musical family and everything like that? Or Yeah, I yeah. grew up in Sheffield, England, and my dad play guitar I grew up in a black gospel church yep. and it was very strict and I had absolutely zero choice but to go right uh, <laughs> and it turned out to be the best thing for me for, for a number of reasons but you know that was my grounding yep. you know it's it's where I learned how to play yep. it's where I got an understanding of, of music and playing with other musicians and when every Tuesday <clears throat> we used to have youth club mm-hmm. so that while the other kids would be in there playing table tennis, pinball machine, you know, and all these different games, I'd be on the drums in the church. Yeah. In the other building, you know, just playing because I love to play. Yeah. And there's a lot of improv in that sort of situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my understanding of of church bands is that it's sort of like a, I mean, it very much is a band leader Mm -hmm. and you're queuing off the leader, right? Yeah. You're queuing off the band leader. So like, um, I did a bit of that and you kind of learn how to think fast. Very fast. Yeah. 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 Because if you don't, there's a line of drummers <laughs> with yeah. sticks looking at you like, mess up one more time. <laughs> I've got your gig. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and what, what age were you when you started playing? Um, I think I was about seven. Oh, wow. Seven or eight. I just had a natural knack yeah. for rhythm. Right. You know, so. Were you, were you listening to anyone in particular? At that time, uh, let me see. Uh, there was a drummer called Dana Davis mm-hmm. who played for a massive gospel group at the time called The Winans. Yep. And I saw them. They came over <clears throat> to the UK and he was mind-blowing. Just, yeah. just incredible. Um, and then eventually I had lessons with a guy called Tony Canelli, mm-hmm. And he introduced me to a lot of the more famous drummers. Dave right. Weckl, um, yeah, you know, Dennis Chambers and... Um, you know, Dave Weckl really um, just opened me up to clean playing. Yeah. Because while people may have, you know, had their different takes on, on his playing at the time, yeah. to me, he was incredible and one of the cleanest drummers I'd ever heard. His, so, te- his technique was flawless. So when you say clean, do you mean not flashy? Do you mean sympathetic? Well, well, well yeah, he was flashy, but it, yeah. his technique was clean because I know a lot of drummers who play fast right but they're not clean right and right. and and the simple explanation for that is if it sounds sloppy mm. i don't care how fast it is right you know dave's clean yeah you know and his drum sounded amazing so um his first album master plan yeah i, I took that and i listened to it because i came up in a strict household so we weren't allowed to listen to anything much but gospel music yeah 
Um, so when I got that album, it's all I listened to for a really long time. Wow, yeah. And it had an influence on my playing. Yeah, um, yeah. My explanation, I think, for what I think you're describing is what I call high-resolution playing. Mm-hmm. And guitar players are renowned for going for speed yeah. and, and end up playing half the note. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right. And, I mean, I love guitar players who talk about practicing slowly because then you can get the part right. Right. And get the muscle memory going and then if you want to speed it up you can yeah right I think that applies to all instruments yeah yeah absolutely and um, over time uh, I got uh, introduced to other drummers mm-hmm. who then became my main influence yeah um, a friend of mine gave me an album by Stanley Clark and George Duke wow great uh, and that's, that was the first time I heard Dennis Chambers oh yeah and um, and you're talking about what, what age are you still talking about I was young, ten or something. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, maybe a bit older. Um, what got me about Dennis's playing was just his speed, his precision, yeah, and his groove. Right. And from that moment, I wanted to be just like him. Mm-hmm. And um, but I hadn't seen him at right. this point. I'd only heard him on the album. So the drum teacher I had at the time, he gave me this this tape, um, the Buddy Rich Memorial. Uh huh. And Dennis Chambers was on there with Greg Bissonette and Louis Belson. Yeah. And they all did their individual performances and then they had a drum battle at the end. And Dennis crucified him. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely crucified him. And then that was it. I idolized Dennis Chambers from that moment on. Had his poster in my bedroom wall. Yeah. Wanted to sit like him, have my kit set out like him. Right. Not smile when I was playing just like him. <laughs> Chew gum like him. You know, it, it was a bit ridiculous looking back on it. But, yeah. Oh, I think we all do that though, don't we? In, in, <laughs> yeah, in a way. Say, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. was that was that arguably the moment where you decided that's what you wanted to do? Um, I knew I loved it, but I didn't, I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do at that point. I think my moment came, I was, I was 17, working for Sheffield City Council. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing for the council? Office work. Yeah. You know, computers and just boring stuff. Yeah. And it was cool to have a job at 17 that paid the full rate for the job. Right. But at that point, I wasn't clear what I wanted to do. Sure. And I'll never forget, I was in the office, Leopold Street, Sheffield, upstairs on the second floor. I just found myself daydreaming one day, looking at this wall. And I visual, I swear to you, I visualized myself playing in an arena to thousands of people. Right. And it lasted a few minutes, and then I came back. And just came from nowhere. Yeah, and I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and my employers at the time could see, I wasn't interested in the job. Yeah. They pulled me in the office, said, can we talk to you? I said, yeah. They said, look, <clears throat> we can see you're not motivated for the job. So you should quit before you get fired. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That day, that moment, I said... Holy shit. I'm going to, yeah. You just, I, I'm out. Yeah, I quit, and I'm going to take the world by storm. And he looked at me. I'll never forget it, my boss, Alan. He said, I think a gentle breeze will be enough, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how I was going to achieve that. I didn't know where to start. But the first hurdle I had was going home and telling my parents that I'd just quit my job. <laughs> right, yeah. My parents, who were so proud and told the whole church, my son works for the council. <laughs> oh, God, this is not going to be good at all. <laughs> so I went home and uh, I told them, I said, uh, 
um, got something to tell you. Yeah. And uh, you're not going to like it. Um, but I want to be a drummer professionally and I quit my job today. <laughs> and they went nuts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. Um, what did they do? What for jobs? And- my dad uh, was a very good welder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good welder. So he was a working man. Yeah. Yeah. And anything that was metallic around the house, he would just make it. Wow. I'm talking about, you know, metallic fencing for the back garden. Yeah. Um, anything, you know, including, like, he was the kind of man that, um, or is the kind of man that anything he puts his hand to, he can just make it work. Right. And... Yeah. There was something wrong with, never forget this, there was something wrong with the car. And he made these ramps at work to drive the car onto and then just read a book and learned how to fix the car himself. <laughs> that's just, that's, both my parents were like that. Right. You know, my mom, God rest her soul, she was the same way. She would bake cakes, she would bake bread, she would um, um, decorate cakes, she'd make curtains, yeah. she'd sew, she'd just... No formal training. Right. Just yeah. do it. And, That's something and, I love about that generation and the generations before that is yeah. that they, you know, we're such a wasteful society now, aren't we? You know, if something yeah. breaks, we just chuck it out. Yeah, you right. But, but it wasn't the way you thought back then. You you fixed it. That's right. And if you didn't know how to fix it, you at least gave it your best shot. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when's the last time any of us read a manual? <laughs> <laughs> I keep them for some reason. Right, I put right, them in right. a box. I never look in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I still... Read manuals, but I'll I'll always get the online manual. Now, right, yeah, yeah, you know, because I just can't be bothered to scroll through pages of a book. <laughs> you know, I've, I I haven't got that kind of time. I'm like, I want to learn how to do what I need to do yep. before I die. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So did your father have uh, somewhat of a traditional view? Like, was he sort of anti the a, a career in the arts at all, or was it not like? Yeah, that? but I, but I realize now that it was mainly based out of perception um of what it was mm. to be a musician because most people that don't know what it is who are very traditional think it's sex drugs and rock and roll right and to a degree it is yeah but not in every genre and you yeah. know and not and not in every musician that's right you know so i i guess a lot of it was ignorance mm-hmm. um mixed with fear yeah and concern for their son you know what's he about to get into right because they want you to be okay yeah. 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 And um <clears throat> it worked out fine because for as long as I can remember, I've never been scared to try. Yeah. I went to London uh, um because I had to. Back then there was no social media. Right. Of course. So yeah. London was like the LA of England. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to get work, gigs, sessions, whatever, you had to be where the work was. So, so I physically had to leave. So the trip to London, did you just pack a bag and go there? Did you know anyone? I, what happened? I got a call to play in a musical called Mama, I Want to Sing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just trying to remember it as I'm talking. Mama, <laughs> I Want to Sing. And I stayed with my uncle temporarily while I was playing in that. Um... And then I left the musical. Shaka Khan was in the musical. Wow, cool. And um, she heard me play. Yep. She, she plays drums. And she loves drums. And um, 
I played and one night I looked up at the encore and she was looking over the edge because there was two drummers. I started out as the original drummer, but then another drummer got called. Yeah. Uh, called John Fisher, good friend of mine. So, and, uh, so two drummers playing at the same time or were you dipping for each other? Different or? different nights. Right. Um, so, I, and I don't know what happened, but I was the original drummer that mm-hmm. got called and then, I don't know, I guess the musical director and him were friends and he must have said something like, dude, I really need this gig, I need the money, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I didn't have a family at that time, so I guess he was priority. So it's fine. Yeah. I, I became the, the, the sub and um, when I did play, again, remember Shaka looking over the side and uh, I talked to her one night and I said, uh, as she was getting ready to leave the show, I said to her, so I heard you putting a band together. She said, mm-hmm. I said, uh, have you got a drummer yet? No word of a lie, this is what she said. I said, have you got a drummer yet? She said, no, but you'll probably be it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. And what were you like? Were you nervous or anything? Like what? What, what were? Well, what the... no, not really. No. Um, because Shaka, she's the type of woman that she's a sweetheart, mm-hmm. unless you piss her off. Yeah, right. If you piss her off, she's gonna let you have it, <laughs> especially if she's had a drink. Yeah, you're gonna get it. But if you do your job well and you're cool, mm-hmm. she's a darling. Cool. I mean, she's a darling anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was cool. Um, so Howard Howard McCrary. Uh, was the musical director, yeah. and um, we did some shows, and and it was great. Cool. And you know? and how were you getting by at that point? Like, were you making enough money off the show to, you know, yeah. pay rent or whatever? Yeah, it was it was okay. I was staying yeah. with a friend of mine, uh, Luke Smith. Uh, Luke played keyboards um, in Mama I Want to Sing. Yeah, and uh, we did many tours together, mm-hmm. and um, he said, "Come stay with me." So. I went and I and I lived with him while I was hustling in London and trying to make a name for myself. Yeah. And then uh my first real break came. Let me see. I was living in East London. I was I was um flat sitting um well, let me explain what a flat is. A flat's like an apartment. Right. Uh, so I was flat sitting for a friend of mine, Kristen, because she was going to do the Blues Brothers musical. Oh, yeah. Cool. So she said, I've got no one to look after my place. Do you mind? I said, no. So I went, and I was dead broke. There was no work. Yeah. You know, and... So was, you, this is after um, um, the gigs you've just been doing yeah, prior to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is after Shaka Khan. And how long were you playing with Shaka Khan for? Uh, not too long. Yeah. Just a few months. Uh-huh. Um, but it was a great experience. Absolutely. You know? yeah, and, um, She's amazing. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, I hit a slump and I, I, I was fighting depression and I, I wasn't sure what to do, but I just had to stick this out. I knew yeah. it's what I had to do. Yeah. And I'll never forget, um, I was just sat in the apartment one day thinking, what the hell am I going to do? Right. And a cassette tape, this is how far back we're going, a cassette tape <laughs> dropped through the door. <laughs> And uh, I was like, what the crap is that? <laughs> I picked it up, and it was a tape and a note from a friend of mine called Michael Brown. Yeah. Guitarist, great guitarist. He played with George Michael and a whole bunch of people over the years. Awesome. And um, he said, learn these songs by tomorrow. Right. And show up for rehearsal. This was it. This is my moment. Yeah. So I listened to the tracks, and I learned them all. And I came in that next day like 
my life depended on it. How many tracks were there? I want to say about eight or nine. Uh-huh. And I played like somebody, I played like a runaway slave that just came across a piece of chicken. <laughs> I was so desperate just to succeed and to, you know, eat. Yeah. Um, I was like, this is it. I'm going for it. And I played with bad intentions. Man. <laughs> and everyone was just like, dude, wow. You know, and that was it. The gig was mine from that point on. And it was with a girl called Michelle Gale. Uh-huh. And Michelle Gale was a TV actress. Right. Okay. In a show called EastEnders, which was huge yep. at the time. Still going to this day. I remember EastEnders. Yeah. yeah. And, um, she had a, so she had a ready-made TV audience. She was big at the time. So the, the gig was mine. I was working with a musical director called Brian Henry. Mm-hmm. He loved the way I played, and he kept calling me. After that, he called me to do uh, Mark Morrison. Oh, yeah. Uh, Return of the Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, played with him for a while. And then it just kept rolling like that, you know, and every gig that he was musical director for, he would call me. Right. So from that moment on, I was working. Yeah, you know, and uh, one gig came after another, and 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 has there been more slumps along the way? At like, that time, like the earlier one. Uh, no, no. At that time, I started to make a name for myself as right. just a really um, solid drummer. Yep. With um, very solid pocket, mm-hmm. because I came up around. I mean, it's, drumming and music has, has changed a lot, but at that time, I came up around musical directors that said, "Look." I don't want none of that Dave Dave Weckl crap. I just want groove. Head down, two and four. Give me a film now and again. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You ever do a, a film more than four bars and you're fired. <laughs> Straight up. So yeah. so that was what I came up around, you know, and it was about being solid. It was about playing with the band, not moving, you know, um, building it up, breaking it down, you yeah. know, playing with dynamics. Playing you know? the song. Yeah, play yeah. the song. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it, it was it was very different for me at that time. And you said earlier that you didn't really it wasn't about nerves for you. you didn't you? Did I think you said you didn't have any fear? Is that right? Uh, uh-uh, I never got nervous. And what was that about? I mean, was it just determination overrode any concept of fear? No, it, for me, it was it was I just put myself in a place mentally. Mm-hmm. Because when I used to practice at youth club, yeah, when the kids were playing, there was no one in there. It was just me. Right. So I used to visualize that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In whatever venue that I was in, I'd visualize it empty. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that because I always imagine, I always think back to when I was 12 and I started learning guitar mm-hmm. and my whole career was just me and the distance between me and the fretboard. Right. And it was just that relationship. Right. And as, as things other things happened and I was in bigger stages and stuff. That's what centered me. It's just, this is it. doesn't matter what else is going on. Yeah. It's like a safe place in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm teaching this kid right now. It was really good. Um, Chris Jordan. And I, and I can see that I said, your problem isn't your playing. Right. It's your head. It's your head space. It's your head space. And you have to put yourself in a place that you can't be phased by who who's in the room or who isn't in the room. Yeah. You know, you can't be phased by that. You just have to be determined to play the same way, whether the room's full or empty. Right. Do you. Yeah. Don't show off because somebody walks in the room. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, what advice can you give me? Play the song. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got a quote from Michael League uh, from Snarky Puppy. He said, don't try and blow their minds, just play something that feels good. Right. And I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. You know? I just, I've held on to that one. Yeah, I've yeah. got so many instances of that. I worked with Ricky Minor mm-hmm. a few times, and <laughs> the first time I worked with him, I was playing on the UNCF tributes of Patti LaBelle. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and cool. um, because Teddy Teddy Campbell, who played with Ricky all the time, uh, he had a clinic to do somewhere else, so he couldn't do that TV show. Right. Anyway, long yeah. story short, um, <clears throat> they sent me all the music. I did my homework. I wrote out my version of quote-unquote charts. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I thought I was ready. So I, I get to the rehearsal room, and Ricky walks in. Morning, guys. Okay, let's start with song one. Uh, I have some, um, some. Uh, what did he say? I have some notes for the chart, some changes, some amendments I want to make. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, crap. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, not sure what I'm going to do here, looking around. And the percussionist, um, Kev, he saw, he saw my desperation in my eyes. He mm-hmm. says, oh, all this means is that at the, at the top of verse two, we're going to put a hit and then it's going to be seven bars instead of eight. Right. You know, so I'd yeah. be making my notes as quickly as I could. Yeah. Anyway, it was too late. <laughs> it was already too late. I was already in my head. <laughs> Everyone else is reading. I don't read. I'm going to sound like crap. Yeah, you're flustered. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we get through a few songs, and I could feel the tension in the room. <laughs> I could feel the dynamic. Because musicians, when somebody's crap... We can let you know without letting you know. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. nobody was saying anything. <laughs> Everyone's head was down and just playing. I was like, <laughs> I know I suck. <laughs> I know that they think I suck. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just bad. So we get to the part where we're going to have a, a break. And Ricky says, hey, Chris, can I talk to you? I was like, yep, here we go. <laughs> this is it. Here it comes. I'm out of here. Yeah. So he said, look, you're not fired. I said, no. And I couldn't believe I actually said that out loud. <laughs> right. He <laughs> went straight there. Right. Yeah. I said, no, he said, look, dude, if you couldn't play, if I didn't think you could play, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. And I can see that you're outthinking yourself mm. because you don't read. Mm. Don't worry about notes. We can fix notes. Right. And I'll never forget this. <clears throat> he said to me, I don't care if you don't read. Make whatever you're playing feel good. Right. That's all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. And I let myself off the hook. Great. You know, because I could do that anyway. Yeah. You know, so he let me know that it was okay that I didn't read. I mean, since I've learned, I've learned how to read a bit, so I can follow a chart now. Well, you said a second ago that you had your own version of charts, yeah. which I thought was funny because I think all musicians say that. Well, yeah. Like, I've got my own versions of charts right, too. Right, 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 right. And I'd hate you to see them because it'd be embarrassing. Right. <laughs> right. Looking yeah. like Egyptian or something. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or like something a five-year-old wrote out. Right, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> all but, these codes and symbols, I know what it means. Right. Yeah. But it works for me. I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't read drum music. And I, I didn't know what, you know, what a coda means or yep. none of that. But I just write out what the numbers of the verse yep. was. You know, so if the verse was eight bars, you know, you have an intro, uh, verse one, yep. eight bars, mm-hmm. pre-chorus, chorus, whatever. Yep. You know, and I just write it out and I could I could follow. I would know, always know where I am in the song. Right. You know, and... I don't and, think I realized at first how much, how, how much of the time musicians are 
kind of blagging it a bit you know right. like i think i assumed everyone else knew exactly what was going on mm -hmm. except for me yeah and so i was intimidated by that yeah and uh and then i realized it doesn't matter if i can read the way that person can read as mm -hmm. long as i can get to the answer yeah you know get to the result exactly and that's why i didn't really mind my gibberish way of writing it down hey you know if it ain't broke exactly <laughs> do you know what i mean exactly it's yeah. one of them yeah and and how much of the time are you i mean a great musician often playing relatively simple music right so it's mm -hmm. not like you're playing to the edge of your ability right not that that makes it simple to play because feel isn't simple true yeah very true and it's it's funny you say that because i was teaching someone last week and he was playing the right information mm. i'm like you're playing the right notes but the feel's not there right you you have to make it how do you teach feel uh well what you did just then by the way was awesome unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that was purely visual. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, well, well. I, you know, I tell people, look, you know, when you're playing a groove, dance to it on your on your seat while you're playing. Right. You know. Yeah. That's that's what I always did. Mm, you know, yeah. and it, it helped my 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 meter. Right. You know, because if you could dance to it, then you should be able to make it feel good. Yeah. As a guitar player, I find it strange when guitar players stand perfectly still. Yeah. Because I don't know how to. Right. Sometimes I have the opposite problem. When I have to be quiet and still, I don't know how to. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I just I said, look, you know, you, you're playing ahead of the beat. Mm -hmm. Bring it back a bit, you know, and just relax because you sound like you're thinking about it too much. Yeah. And drums are telling you, if you're thinking about it too much and you're not relaxed, you're going to choke. Right. And you're going to sound as stiff as you're feeling. Yeah. Get out of your head. Mm -hmm. You know, just relax and make it feel good. And was that occasion that you were just describing one of the only times that you were in your head and flustered like that? Or was it sort of um, been, is it something that you just fall into from time no, to time? No, I was, I was fine after that because yeah. I'm very comfortable when I'm playing. Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good at it because I love it. Yeah. But that particular instance was was more to do with with the the the, the reading than anything. Right. The music I could play, but I, because I got into my own head about the reading, yeah, the playing suffered. Right. What about as the rooms got bigger? Because you know you play a small little club, sometimes they've got great sound. Or play a theater, it's sometimes pretty good sound. Yeah. But the bigger venues can be out of control sometimes. You don't know what's going on, right? In terms of what? In in terms of the sound. You know, like playing in a, with a small band in a small room can often yeah. be fantastic because everyone's right underneath each other. Yeah. But on a big stage, you know, the 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 bass player might be like ten meters away, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, that's throwing me sometimes on the bigger stages. Has that affected you at all? Yeah. Well, I've done some gigs where most gigs I'm, um, particularly on on like pop gigs mm -hmm. like Britney Spears or Nick Jonas or whoever. Yeah. And playing to click. Yep. Because sometimes stuff is in the sequence, extra vocals, keyboard parts, whatever. Sure, yeah. And if the sound is bad, worst case scenario, I'll turn everything else down in my mix and just focus on the click. If I know the song, I kind of know where I am right? without having to hear it in my cans. Yeah. But as long as the click is my friend. Because if you miss by one beat, yeah. one bar, it's a wrap. Oh, yeah. So... As long as I'm on with the click, I don't mind. They could be across the street doing the gig. I yeah. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that that must be worst case scenario though, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I tour with a band that plays with backing tracks, so mm -hmm. I know that dilemma. Yeah. We don't really have a backup plan if it goes wrong, and it sometimes goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> So yeah. our only real backup plan is we just turn it off, 
mm-hmm. and then usually the drummer who runs the the backing tracks is just screaming at us you know the tracks are off and right, we, right, we right. have to play more to fill it up you know right right but right if you're on a bigger show like britney spears or something and you're mm-hmm. using tracks what happens if the tracks fuck out i mean do you have an engineer that'll put you back into sync or something yeah, yeah. um although at that level that doesn't happen I but just, if it did it just can't happen no yeah it, it just doesn't happen all the hardware is solid and reliable because it has to be right oh i mean but, if the band misses though but that doesn't happen either, right? No, because we've rehearsed enough by that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, no one wants to lose their gig, so missing's not an option. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I worked on a project recently, and the computer crashed on stage. And um, the MD was looking at me like, go, go. I counted it off. Let's go. Mm. Because when, you, when I'm listening to a song, I'm not relying on what the computer's going to be playing. Right. I'm going to listen to what I'm playing so that, it's just there regardless. Yeah. So when he said, count it off, I knew the tempo. Yeah. I knew the feel. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And, and we got through it. You just did it live, no yeah. tracks? Yeah. Yeah. Just did it live. Yeah. And it was cool because I knew more, more often than not, I'm playing in conjunction with loops or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I knew what the loop part was. So I played the loop as well as what I was playing on top of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was sign, sign of the times. Oh, oh yeah right yeah because I've, I've been working with the new power generation awesome lately so yeah. I knew the song yeah so let's go yeah you know? well, I mean coming from the kind of improv background especially with gospel and stuff mm-hmm. was there a point where you suddenly had to sharpen up on listening to tracks and clicks and stuff no there's a lot of musicians out there who are fantastic but just can't line up with a click no that, yeah. that's not something I had to learn I'll tell you why yeah when I was a kid playing at the youth club at church mm-hmm. my escapism was to put headphones on with my Sony Walkman. Yeah. And I had a tape that I'd put all my favorite groups on. Right. And all my favorite drummers. And I'd just play along. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time that it was strengthening my pocket. Yeah, right. It was strengthening my groove. It was training my ear Mm -hmm. what to listen for. So when someone else said, put these headphones on and play along to this, okay. I've been doing that for years anyway. So it was easy, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know a lot of people have said that. I think it's, uh, and they usually do it on accident because, mm-hmm. of course, you're listening to the, you're, you're, you're immediately in time. Yeah. But you're also listening to the band and the song. Yeah. And it puts you in. I, there's a drummer in New Zealand who has great feel. And I um and I asked him once, how did you get such good feel and how did you get so solid? Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, I just, for 10 years, I practiced in headphones to Toto. There you go. I'm like, well, <laughs> Picaro, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else do you need? You're not, you're not going to beat that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Jeff. I mean, what yeah. else? Send them all. Exactly. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. End of conversation. Yeah. 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 And it's funny, I'll just uh, last week with the student I was with, I gave him the Jeff Picaro um, tutorial video that he did. Oh, <laughs> the one that looks like he's kind of, he's got, got reflux. Got or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and on the <laughs> grace note of the... It's so good. Like, what's wrong with him? Why do you sound know. like that? I want to see that again. Right. It's so good. Sounded like he had half a cheese sandwich stuck in his chest or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I gave him that to listen to because <clears throat> he was playing and he was trying to... He was playing a pattern that had grace notes in it. Right. But his grace notes were too loud. Oh, and and he didn't understand that the, the power in grace notes is to have them as soft as possible. Yeah. Like in the background. Yeah. And and Jeff Picard was the perfect example. 
Right. So I gave him that, and he, he said, "Oh, so the, okay, so it should be more subtle than it." I'm like, "Yeah, there you go. Now you're getting it." <laughs> I heard a rumor about Picaro. I can't substantiate this at all. Yeah. But it's a great story, even if it's not true. Yeah. And and the the story was that he was he he realized that he was getting penalized for being so good mm. because he'd go to the studio and charge per hour, but he'd get it like in the first take. Right. And he'd be done and get paid for one hour yeah. and a shitty drummer would come in and take all day mm-hmm. and get paid more than him yeah. so he started charging a quite a big fee I was told it was 30 grand mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true either I don't know but he would charge a big fee just to show up and then he'd charge by the hour wow isn't that interesting yeah <laughs> well I, I get it though because yeah. because when I'm in the studio Alex will tell you one two takes mm-hmm. if I'm, especially if I if I already knew the song right I've got it and if you if you're not working on a day rate, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it can you get it can burnt go for against it. you. So if I've done it, that's it. I I think it it's an interesting story to me because it raises the question of how do you figure out how to value yourself in this industry? Because we all start out as kids making yeah. no money, right. and we we somehow transition from kid with a hobby to pro with a job, mm-hmm. and we have to figure out somewhere along the way when to start charging, how to start charging, how much to start charging. We get gigs where we accept really low money and a small gig over here, and we get a big opportunity over here you know, for a, l- a larger sum. Yeah. And how do you organize that and figure out what your minimum is? And, you know, is, I mean, how did you figure this stuff out? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's touch and go. I mean, I, I was just kind of figuring it out as I go. Some people have budget, mm-hmm. you know. Some people don't. And right. I guess it's just... Working out who does and who doesn't, you know, some people lie, so yep. they don't have the money when they really do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've told people before, like, look, pay me this because I'm fast. Yeah. You know, one or two takes, you can have more than what you need. I'll give you three if you want, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to take all day. Right. So, you know, that's why I do per track. Yeah. As opposed to a day, because you can get an album out of me in a day. Oh, I see. So that's clever. So you're not even bothering with the per hour thing. Mm-mm. You've just got a track rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have been less common back then, right? That would uh, be more common now, wouldn't it? Uh, back then? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember how I did it back then. Um, <laughs> we, had a, we had a whole system where we just played and signed sheets and got royalties. And it's not like here. Right. You know, in the UK, we got royalties when we did sessions. Oh, really? Yeah. Just automatically? Yeah, it's got absolutely, points? Yeah. It's like that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like that here. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, every situation is different. Yeah. You know, so you just have to just work it out beforehand, you know, mm. what it's going to be. So you have the conversations up front before oh, it starts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, of course, that's where a lot of musicians get into trouble, right? They, yeah. They say yes and worry about it afterwards. Can't do that. No. And the, the struggle that I'm having with a lot of the younger players that are around today is some of them are really good and are coming straight out of Berkeley or yeah. wherever. They've got no experience. Mm. They can play, yeah, but they don't really get how it goes. Right. So they'll go in and do a dynamite job and not charge enough. Right. And make it difficult for guys like me and the likes of to get what we know we should get. Musicians always do that. We always mm-hmm. undercut each other. Yeah. 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 Sometimes with the best intentions mm-hmm. or, or based on securities, but we undercut each other Yeah, because we don't value ourselves. It's not doing the music community any good. That's right. Whether you're 
a musician, a vocalist, a musical director. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's the business, but it's it's harming us yeah. because what's happening is the powers that be are getting uh, great musicianship for bottom dollar. Mm. So it makes it difficult to negotiate fairly. Right. Because they know they can call Bob down the street who's going to do it for half the money that I would. Yeah. And they don't care about my resume. Right. They don't care about my experience, how many tours I've done, albums I've played on, movie soundtracks I've played on. They don't care. Yeah. How much will the other guy do it for? Right. Half? Okay, yeah. get him. Yeah. And was this, is that, in your experience, is this something that's changed? That lack of caring about that? I mean... It's got worse. Yeah. Especially now, because we're living in such a highly technological time mm. where everything's instant. Right. You know, and you've got some kid who's got zero experience, who doesn't know what it is to grind in a crappy rehearsal room and work at his craft. Yeah. And look for gigs and audition and earn it. Yeah. No, they don't understand that. The hustle. They don't understand the hustle of, okay, I have to choose. Yeah. Eat or pay for this rehearsal room. Mm. They don't understand that kind of grind. No. And so, you, you so, can't understand it until you go through it. No. Mm. So you get some kid who goes on, who does a video, and for whatever reason, he gets 100,000 views on YouTube. Yeah. And then that gets him the gig. Right. Because his numbers are up. Yeah. But he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he's got no clue. Right. It's not just about playing when you're on, when you're on a gig. Yeah. It's about being professional. Mm. It's about being on time. It's about doing your homework and, and nailing the parts, right. which I'll come back to. Mm. You know, it's about the hang. Yeah. It's so the important. The hang is so crucial because if you're an idiot, people don't want to be around you. The, the hang is like 98% of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, and I, and I said parts because I, I did a gig recently where I replaced somebody. <clears throat> it's not that he couldn't play. Right. But he hadn't listened to the songs. Right. He just he just thought he could come in, fluff his way through it, yeah. and chop his way through the parts that he didn't know. No, these there the specific hits at certain parts of the bar. Yeah. You know, there are phrases that the rest of the band is playing that you're supposed to join in on. Yeah. There are stops in the song where yeah. you're not supposed to play anything. Right. There's all kinds of intricacies and if you if you haven't done the work, how are you gonna know? Right. I was shaking my head because I experienced that so often and it blows my mind how... Because I, I can't live with myself if I turn up to a gig or rehearsal and I, and I haven't prepared. Yeah. If I t haven't taken notes or learnt the songs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, earlier you were talking about when musicians stare at their feet. Mm -hmm. I was laughing at that because that's what I do too. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, I'm so fucking angry right now, I'm going to stare right at my feet. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, I was talking to one of the drummers that I work with in New Zealand recently. We had that situation happen yeah. and um, with another musician and... He, he the way he worded it was he said I'm actually really offended mm. because I put a lot of hours into learning this stuff Absolutely. and this guy thinks he can just show up and sort of you know it's just... a waste of everybody's time exactly you know and it's 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 somewhat disrespectful to to just show up and mm. I know drummers that have done this musicians that have done this to, yeah. they, they, they've they spent so much time hustling doing other gigs and other sessions right they literally physically haven't had the time to learn yeah. the material and they've come in Insulting everybody's intelligence. Yeah, Cause, yeah. Because we we always know. Of course, dude. Stop. You haven't listened to the songs. Yeah. You yeah. have no idea about the form, the groove. Yeah. 
Nothing. You can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like, no, don't do that. I've noticed that sometimes when you first jam with someone, there's kind of a... I don't think we necessarily do it on purpose, but we throw each other little things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they pick it up, you kind of go, all right, he's on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I can trust this person. Yeah. Yeah. That happened with me and Dan. Right. The first session that, that we did, it was crazy because we kept looking at each other like, okay, this is this is weird because instinctively, we're going to the same places. Yeah. We've never met before. <laughs> yeah. We've never played together before. <laughs> But instinctively, we keep landing at the same places, looking at each other like, what the crap just happened? Right. How did we feel that that was the place to go? Yeah. And you can't explain it. You can't explain it. It's one of those magical moments. Yeah. But, you know, we'd listen and we just knew. Right. You know, got to listen. You, you have to listen. Hmm. There's no other way. Well, he's one of those guys. I mean, he was actually, funnily enough, we're talking about Dan Antonovich, who's a good friend of mine, mm -hmm. and he was actually our first guest on the show. Really? Yeah, first, wow. e first episode We first episode with a guest. Yeah. And um, he's one of those guys who learns everything properly, yes. but also has the muscle to, to be on the spot. Yeah. You know, he has the, the musical dexterity and knowledge to be able to figure it out very fast if, if he has to. Yeah, Dan's you know? amazing. Mm. He, and he's amazing not just as a bass player, but he's an amazing human being. Absolutely. And a great producer. Yes. And I'm, I'm really hoping that the world is going to see that soon. I don't think it's possible that it won't. Yeah. He's yeah. incredible. He's ear. Yeah. Uh, we've been writing together recently and come up with some good songs. Mm -hmm. I trust his ear. He trusts mine. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So when in this whole story did you move out here? I came out here 12 years ago. Okay. I um, met my ex-wife yep. in London. Mm -hmm. She was singing with somebody at the Jazz Cafe, and I knew the musical director of that gig. And she she was American? or Yeah, she's American. Right. She's from Ohio. Uh -huh. And um, <clears throat> she um, she was singing with him, and we got talking, and we started dating. One thing led to another, and I came to visit. Never went back. <laughs> <laughs> Really? There wasn't much thought on it? No. Nope. No? I mean, in the beginning, I was, because, you know, you fall in love and everything changes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but you that, had a career going over there. Things were going good. Like, yeah, things it, were going really good. There was like, a was, risk you could come here and nothing would happen. Yeah, at the yeah. time, I was playing with Daniel Bedingfield, who I'm sure you know. Yeah, Kiwi. Um, and and he was he was doing well over there. He had a few number ones, and yeah. he was looking after me and whatever, but the distance was becoming an issue. Right. Uh, between us and I wasn't going to lose my girl to no gig right yeah so I said screw it start again and what was that like did, it, did you move to Ohio or to LA or LA LA right um, scary in the yeah. beginning yeah because to get um, your green card you can't work right so here I am with this chick we just eloped mm -hmm. you know so okay so now I'm a husband <laughs> uh, Wait, how long was it from when you met her to when you married her? Uh, a year and a half. Oh, okay, it's not crazy. Yeah. Right. So I'm here, I'm a husband, and I'm broke. Right. Uh, in a, in a new place. Looking, right. Yeah. She's looking after me. Yeah. Wait, what? Something's <laughs> not right with this equation. And are you playing much? Even like... No, I was a ghost. Right. No one knew who I was here. Yeah. Besides this album I played on, this massive gospel album, by this guy called Donnie McClellan. Uh-huh. The album did well here. I didn't know. We it was actually recorded in London. Right. Um, but that was that was my 
only uh, not claim to fame, as it were, but, you know, that's how people knew me. So you'd played with big artists over in London, but not necessarily artists that were that known here, is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? Right. And, um, I mean, I eventually got work yeah. over here, but in the beginning it was rough because you weren't allowed to work officially. Mm. So anything I did do had to be cash under the table. Sure. Until I got my green card. Yeah. Um, and then I could venture out and, and do stuff. Right. So, yeah, it was it was rough in the beginning. I learned a lot of hard lessons. People, yeah. in, people in L.A. talk a lot. Right. You know, and even when I was living in the U.K., you know, a lot of guys would be like, yo, man, you know, you're British, man. You come over, man. You get, you know, a load of work. You're excellent, man. You know, blah, blah, blah. But it's different when you're here. Yeah, that's you right. Know, because yeah. you could be taking food out of my mouth mm. now. So, <laughs> Very you know. competitive place. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's that whole thing of, yeah, dude, call me. And then you call, you get no response. You leave a message, you get no call back. Right. And I, it took me a long time to learn the harsh reality of L.A. Yeah. How beautiful and ugly it is at the same time. Right. It's a good way of putting it. You know? Yeah. And um, my ex told me, she told me in the beginning because she saw um, my excitement uh-huh. for the place and for what I thought were opportunities when she would just be like, and, I, and I'd be like, what? She's like, they're not going to call. Right. I'm like, why are you so negative all the time? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm telling you, that's what it's like here. Yeah. You know, they'll say they're going to call. Trying to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it sounds good. Some people just think, you know, it makes me sound powerful if I if I act like I have an opportunity to give you. Right. And then nothing. Yeah. You know, you just have your hopes raised and dashed all the time until you get it that that's how it is here. And so was there a point where you kind of figured out how to operate yeah it took a while yeah but yeah i spent many years angry (laughs) for which she probably paid some of it yeah but you know it was just frustration because i'd i'd come from the uk where i was one of considered one of the guys right you know and and done a lot of arena tours and done magazine interviews and played on albums and it's what i did yeah and then suddenly crickets (laughs) it's just like wow so it was really frustrating for me. And was that also, like, did you get depression again? I mean, did that sort of stuff kick in? It was more more frustration than it was depression. Right. Um, because I just had to keep going in my mind and just keep telling myself that something's going to break. Yeah. At some point. And um, I think that that point came, I had a phone call from a guy called Simon Ellis. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> who I'd done a few tours with in England yeah. for big pop acts. And uh, it was t- uh, 2008. Two- yeah, 2008 Thanksgiving, he yeah. called me. Conversation was very short. Ring, ring. Hello? Chris, is Simon. Hi, mate. You all right? Yeah, I'm not bad. Listen, I'm going to keep it short. I'm doing Britney Spears. Do you want to do it? <laughs> uh, Yeah. Cool. Done. Yours. Holy shit, really? Just like that. Because we know each other. You right. Know, we, we, he knows my playing inside out. And was he MD or something? Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. So that was it. No audition, no nothing. See you in rehearsals. <laughs> Done. And I told the Britney for almost a, a, a whole year. Wow. Yeah. And what were those gigs like? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the middle of a spectacle, right? A giant show, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the circus tour. Um, it was great. You know, again, playing to click. Yep. Um, playing to tracks just nail it you know 
Um, and that was that. Brilliant. You know. And did that go around the world? Yeah, we yeah. we did America twice. Yeah. Uh, we did London. We did Russia. And we did Australia. Nice. New Zealand? Nope, not New Zealand. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to New Zealand because I love Lord of the Rings. Oh, well, anytime you... <laughs> I'll take you down there. Yeah, yeah, man, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and yeah. that, but that kicked everything off again? Hmm? That tour kicked everything off again? Like more jobs started coming in after that? Yeah. Um, it was it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I got Nick Jonas... Um, Adam Blackstone called me. Um, he said, "Hey, I'm doing an audition, right? Um, for Nick Jonas, wanting to come down. Yeah, sent me the songs. I learned them. Um, it got a bit dry again around that time. So again, it was like, all right, this is my moment. Mm-hmm. I went in and I played that gig like it was mine. Yeah, you and sure it. enough, they said, yeah, you're the guy. Awesome. And um, you know, they said other guys came in." They hadn't really listened to the songs. Mm. But they said, we, what impressed us was your attention to parts. Right. It's it's so important. I can't stress that enough to younger players. Learn your parts and play the song. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, absolutely. It's crucial. And was there something, you know, did you change your approach to your career when you, you know, around that time that you were in LA and struggling, then getting the big gigs? Mm-hmm. Did you change your mindset or approach to how you managed yourself or managed your career that made it work? Or was it more that good gigs came in and sort of got you afloat again? Good gigs came in. I was grateful for it. Yeah. I think it was a wake-up call for me. Mm-hmm. In that in in the UK, it's what I did. Right. And to some degree, it came easy. Yeah. You know? Uh, I did a lot of work with 19 Management, yeah, which is Simon Fuller's company. Uh-huh. And um, I'd go on tour, I'd earn great money, and then I'd be home eating cornflakes for a while, right. playing, playing my Xbox, yeah, until I got told of the next rehearsals for the next tour. Yeah, that was my life. Yeah, so I think to some degree I got complacent, right, um, and just assumed that that's the way it went. Mm. But no, it took me. A few years to realize that what we do on a high level, it's a privileged lifestyle. Absolutely. And Mark Delcor, who was the programmer on the Britney Spears gig, yeah, he said that. And I never, for, I never forgot him saying that. You know, we travel the world, getting paid yeah. to do what we love to do. Yeah. Staying in beautiful hotels, seeing different parts of the world. Yeah. Not everybody gets to live their dream. Of course not. You know, the majority it's, it's very yeah. privileged. Yeah. So when you're in that position, you know, have an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Because it's it's not a given. Yeah. It really isn't. Especially in America, there's so many musicians here. Mm. Good ones too. Yeah. You know, but a lot of it is is, is your character and, and, and the hang and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes early on. Right. Um... My attitude wasn't right, you know. I, I, in what I, in what way? I was some I was somewhat entitled. Okay, yeah. Coming from the UK, being one of the guys, yeah, you know, and not realizing the magnitude of the states, mm. uh, how big it is, and how many people are here, how many great musicians are here, hungry, right? You know, um, to the point of 
undercutting themselves. Yeah. You know, so some stuff I got asked to do, I was like, how dare you ask me to do something for forty dollars what right. are you talking about you know who i am you know the <laughs> stuff that i've done yeah. i don't get those kind of calls what are you <laughs> but, but you know nobody knew who i was yeah you know i had to start again and everyone here is someone and no one at the same time right exactly yeah exactly and you know you only have to go to a restaurant to mm. prove that point mm. you know yeah. get into conversation with a waiter or a waitress so what do you do and it's all, it's like I, I saw this one chick when I, I went out to eat somewhere, and I swear to you, she said so many job descriptions that it's almost <laughs> like time froze, right? And she, her voice went into slow motion. Yeah. So I was like, "So what do you do? Oh, you know, uh, I'm a vocalist, actress, director, producer, <laughs> makeup artist." And I, I was watching her lips move. Like, how many jobs do you have? <laughs> Oh man, we were at a diner last week, and the guy I was with was getting into a conversation with the waitress, yeah. and uh, and looked at, looked her up on IMDb, mm-hmm. and she's like in all sorts of films, TV shows. I think she's a recurring character on a pretty big show right yeah. now and stuff, and she's giving us our sandwiches, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's everywhere. Everyone's hustling, man. Yeah. And the thing is, what I find is that more often than not, to keep up the facade, people aren't honest. Right. They're going to act like they're doing everything. And that's a new version of us undermining ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that social media thing where everyone's putting the best representation of themselves online mm-hmm. and makes everyone else feel terrible about right, themselves. Right, right. <laughs> because yeah. like, everyone else is having this great time except for me. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. And it's not true. No. It, it's, it's just so inaccurate. You know, I saw this girl and she looked so depressed. And no sooner had she had that look, she pulled out her phone held it in the air, gave the biggest smile, <laughs> did the biggest selfie that just looked like I'm on top of the world. Yeah. Took the photo, posted it on Instagram, put a phone back in her pocket and looked like she wanted to jump off a bridge. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. Because I saw the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's what society's become today. Uh, yeah, that's right. And it's, it's scary. Like, it's not true. No. It's not true. And I and, and I, I tell friends of mine, and I encourage people: look, don't let social media fool you, right? Because you look at all of these posts and think that everyone's been successful except me. Mm. But if you really pay attention, you'll see a lot of it is it's it's a facade. It's a, absolutely, it's a mirage. It's absolutely. not real. I saw yeah. this guy; he had a hundred and something thousand followers on Instagram. He was following me, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, "Let me check this guy out." Because here's the key. If you've got 17, 27, 90,000 followers and only 20 likes on one of your pictures, yeah, you right. bought those followers. <laughs> it's not true. Good observation. you got to yeah. look at the numbers. Yeah. If you've got that many followers, how have you got hardly any likes on your <laughs> posts? I don't know if I would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. People buy followers to, to, to present this image. Right. Because, you know, people look at numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh well, he's got a hundred thousand followers. He must be somebody. Well, that these days that is a seen as success in a way, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what is success to you in our industry now? Because it can't be money. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. I, I mean, has it changed your perception of what success is for you? Mine personally. Yeah. Uh, social media did have an effect before I really just stepped back. Yeah. And really looked at what's going on. Mm. 
you know, because some people aren't as successful as they make out to be in, of course, their, in their probably most right in their presentation, <laughs> yeah, their posts or whatever. Yeah. Um, I know people who have success or have had success, and 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 I know that only because I know them personally. Sure, but looking at them face value, you never know. Because some guys wear their success, you know, right? Jewelry, cars, posts, whatever. Yeah. But some people who are like rich, I'm very successful. Just look regular. Yeah. Acts regular. But what is it for you though, as a as a on a personal level? For me, what yeah. what success? Yeah. Um. I mean, is it lifestyle? Is it family? Or is it is it your craft still? I mean, I guess it's all of the above in some ways. Yeah, and just finding balance between all of it. Yeah. You know, and and being respected by people who I respect. Yeah. You know, that call me because they're like, we know what we're going to get when we call you. You know, you're going to nail it. And we love your vibe and we love to be around you. And it's like, it's always cool when people are like you Mm. as well as like what you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially when you hold them in high regard and you you know that they have a high level of... uh, how, what's the way, right way to put it like quality control mm-hmm. right <laughs> they, don't right. Take, they don't suffer falls yeah 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 and it's it happens to me a lot um 20 something years ago I remember watching Prince yeah on a TV show called The White Room yeah they did a track called Get Wild and it was incredible mm. and at that time I just idolized those guys because yeah. Michael Bland was just an amazing drummer who I wanted to play like him. Yeah. Him, along with Dennis Chambers, you know. Prince is one powerful, of my favorite guitar players. Pocket. Yeah. You know, chops, all, all of it. Exactly. And I had the the performance on VHS cassette and mm-hmm. I used to watch it all the time. And then when I did that musical, mm-hmm. Mama I Wanna Sing, I walked out after performing one, one night and Michael Bland was right there in the street. Wow. I said, Michael Bland. <laughs> he said, damn, why are you calling on my name like I stole something from you? <laughs> and then I explained, no, you're a hero and blah, blah, blah. And that's why I met him and Maurice Hayes. And, and had he just been to the show or yeah. was he just walking by? Yeah, they've right. just been to the show. show. Yeah, He's like, man, I'm going to call you Sugarfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Sugarfoot. The other guys would call me Thunderfoot. <laughs> like, I think that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They sound so, like they contradict each other. Right. Yeah. So, cut forward some 20 odd years and it's like, I'm friends with these guys that are considered heroes. Right. You know, Dennis Chambers, he texts me every day. Mm. You know, Michael Bland texts me when I was in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago doing the gig he used to do, texting me saying, I heard you're doing a great job. And it's like, what the hell? Yeah. Wow. My life on paper don't make any sense. That's crazy, man. <laughs> from the UK to here, Yeah. with all the drummers that are in America and the places that I find myself in, I'm just like, the good Lord is smiling down on me. Right. Because what are the odds? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What are the chances that I would come from Sheffield, England, end up in America, and end up in situations that I idolized growing up? Right. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's uncanny, man. It's crazy, yep. yeah. And how do you how do you see things going forward? Like, how do you think about the future? I mean, do you, do you make plans? Do you have ambitions, you know? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. Um, I'd like a music school one day. All oh, right. Yeah. So start one from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a music school that not only teaches kids, but I've always had this dream um, of working with kids that 
have had issues where they don't feel like they're heard. Right. Um, so music school stroke, I don't know, counseling center, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's nothing worse than having a gift and having people tell you that you suck. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I've, you know, there's, I've, a lot of times I didn't have people in my corner mm. until I found success. Yeah. You know, but before that, I had to believe in myself. Right. And just say, you know, you just have to just keep moving forward and believe in it mm. with all your heart. Yeah. So you also mean kids that have had personal problems as well? Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. We all need someone to talk to. And music is such a great healer as well, Absolutely right? it yeah. is. Yeah. Music is probably the reason I'm not in jail. Mm. Because drums are great because you can hit stuff legally. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I mean, that's just real talk. You know, back in 09, when I was in the middle of me doing Britney Spears, my mom died. Oh, right. I'm sorry. And thank you. Yeah. And the only thing that got me through at that time was doing the gig. Yeah. Because I was going home to, to see her before she died. And um, it was the craziest thing. You know, they said, we've got your performance in Pro Tools. Go. We've got your ticket. Go. Go wow. see your mom. That's amazing to have that kind of support. Yeah. The team. You but don't always get that, right? That day was so surreal. And no, yeah. you don't always get that. No. That day was so surreal because it was the brightest sunny day. And I'll never forget, I was going to the airport in the cab. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden, these dark clouds came from nowhere, from wow. from each side. Yeah. And it was a thunderstorm, rain everywhere. All the cars on the freeway had their hazard lights on, driving slow because we couldn't see quite where we were going because the downpour was that severe. Yeah. So as quick as it came, it left and it was sunny again and I was like she's gone oh man I felt it yeah and I got to the airport and my brother texted me and said she's gone I knew it it's almost yeah. like she was fighting to still be here right um, so she had been sick for a while like you expected it to happen well she had a stroke oh okay so she had been sick but not to the point of death right um, but the stroke that was the final straw and that was sudden and that was yep almost immediate at that point was it not immediate took yeah. a few hours but yeah okay. she was out not long after that yeah so I called management I said I'm coming back she's gone hmm. and uh, I spent the night in my hotel room crying whatnot. Hmm. and they said look we're really sorry just come and do the gig yeah you know you, we can't have you just sitting in the hotel room by yourself right but I knew that it was partly to do with the gig as well, because while my while my performance was in Pro Tools, it's not the same as me being there physically of course, playing. It. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. It's cool. It's business. It's okay. Yeah. It's therapy. Mm. So I went and I smashed the crap out of those drums that night. Yeah. But it was nothing to do with the gig. It was pain. Yeah. It was therapy. Yeah. You know, I'm taking out everything I'm feeling on the kit. I went ballistic, mm. and everyone was like, "Dude, you killed it tonight!" And I'm like. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. But that's not really what it was about. That wasn't the point. And no word of a lie. Yeah. I looked down at my phone and my then wife said that her dad just died. Oh my God. So imagine that. She's in America. I'm in Canada. My mom's dead body's in the UK and her dad's dead body is in Ohio. Oh. And I can't help her because she's grieving and she can't help me because I'm grieving. And you're in different parts of the world so yeah. you can't be there with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone was in disbelief. Like, Chris, are you serious right now? I'm like, yeah. 
So what I would have you... lost my mind had I not had drums to smack the hell out of yeah. every night. Yeah. And that's but... exactly what I did. And I kept it together. What did your wife do, though? What did she do? Like, how did she get through? I mean, she didn't have drums to hit. No, no, she didn't. She's a vocalist. Right. Oh, okay. Um, right. But, she, but we had a small son then that she was looking after. So I guess that had most of her focus. Yeah. And um, she had the distraction of yeah, being exactly, a mother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was cool. But man, when the tour stopped and I went home and it hit me. Yeah. I was a mess. Yeah. I was a mess. So, you know. Life happens, man. Yeah. You know, you just have to find a way to get through it. I think, I mean, a lot of the time when they talk about people struggling in the music industry with, with various forms of you know men, mental illness or grief or, or addiction mm-hmm. or whatever, I think there's an assumption that a lot of that stuff is on the road. But yeah. in reality, it's actually when you get home because mm-hmm. you're on a high on the road and you've got your people around you and the excitement of the gigs yeah. and the whole thing and then you get back to nothing. Yeah. What are you going to do all day, yeah. all week, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why often we hear about, the, you know, some awful things happening in strange places or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I knew somebody who died. Um, he'd been struggling for a while. Mm-hmm. Gigs got slow. He had a family. Yeah. And he got depressed and he was on medication for something. And he started drinking on top of it and it took him out. Yeah, you know it's a hard business you know and if you're not sure of who you are mm. and you don't have the right people around you feeding you the right information yeah, it's easy to slip into some bad habits yeah. especially when you're in a dark place so it, yeah so apart from you know the obvious statement of don't do that shit mm-hmm. do you have any you know advice or anything for musicians starting out uh, you know, in regards to how to stay grounded and how to keep their heads straight mm-hmm. wh- while trying to navigate the industry? Appreciate every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Don't let people take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. But when you're given a good opportunity, recognize that it's a privileged position. Yep. Give it 100%. Do your homework. Show up on time. In fact, be early. Yeah. On time is late. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky Minor said that. He said, if I have to look for you, you're late. Right. Yeah. So show up early. Mm-hmm. Be cool. You know, leave your personal problems at the door. Leave mm-hmm. your ego at the door. Yeah. Play the song. Um, and just, you know, be appropriate. Yeah. You know. That's what I would say, you know. Um, it's not about the speed and the chops and all the rest of it. That's what the guys do that get the big numbers on the post that don't do any real work. Yeah. They do those videos. Yeah. But if you want to be a working musician playing in a band, then you have to listen to music and appreciate music. It's don't think drums, think right. music. Right. Great advice. You know. Yeah. I can't stress that enough, you yeah. know. Um when you when some guys I've taught <clears throat> You know, one guy came to me and said, I want to be Tony Royster. I said, why? Well, he's amazing. I said, I know he is. But he's taken. <laughs> There's already a Tony Royster. Why would you want to be like him? He's got First his of job. all, you're never ever in your, with your best effort. You're never going to play like him. He's amazing. <laughs> he's Tony Royster. You're not. Yeah. You're Cliff. Be Cliff. Right, yeah. What does Cliff do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then he played. And I was like, 
amazed because he was one of the worst drummers I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then you're like, maybe don't be you. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to play like Tony Royster? You need to be in the post office in the back, sir. Have you thought about waiting tables? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need Phil to do that. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, you know, just be yourself. Everyone else is taking it. True. Yeah. There's only one of you. So find out what it is that you shine in and just do that. Yeah. Because there's no point trying to be like someone else. Absolutely. You're just a bad copy. Yeah. Screw that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It's so flown well. by. I, I am humbled by how open you've been. <laughs> it's fantastic. And, You're um, very welcome. We greatly appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for having me. Reminds me of what it's like, in, um, you know, to be a drummer in the early days trying to find gigs. Yeah. So thanks, Chris, for being a part of the um, this deal. It's awesome. Absolutely. Thank you for being so open. It was, yeah. it was brilliant. Mm. It takes a lot of courage, I think. Yep. Either courage or it takes some sort of brain disconnection. <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed pretty connected. I think so, yeah. <laughs> he seemed so pretty onto it. He's onto it. Yeah. And thanks to everyone for tuning in again. Um, yep. it's, it's great to have your support. We see the regular listenership is, is climbing, which is great. Great. Um, appreciate it. And uh, we've got more great stuff coming up. So catch you all later. Catch you soon. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast please do like share and subscribe and give us a review on itunes